Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and family, we are back. You probably thought we were gone. You didn't get that lucky. Here we are again, like six weeks after episode 10, I believe. Yes. We're dropping episode 11. Like it. But episode 11 is going to be a good one. It's we're, fun. You're, you don't even have to hear us talk a whole lot because we've got a special guest today. But before we get to that, one Mr. Dan Brown on the west side hanging with us. How you doing, my friend? You know I'm doing well. I'm doing well, considering uh, all the world's trials and tribulations. <laughs> Overall, the Brown household's holding it down. I love it. I love it. And then my, my lovely wife, who holds everything down for me, one Miss Anya Piper. That's what she said. Oh, boy. She went there. Oh. <laughs> she went there. Thank you, and goodbye. Hey, that's all I got so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time uh, on anything other than our special guest today uh, Dan we will talk about this again on the next episode but we did have to mention Dustin Wolf goaltender of the year for the whole CHL whoop, whoop. I love that yeah. kid I love that kid I'm, I love him So, uh, if it would have been anybody else I would have been like that's stupid yeah. <laughs> right yeah I think uh, we may still see and it's it sucks that maybe some of his uh, his stats are cut away because of the I shortened know. season. Man, he could have probably had like amazing. Well, stats. I could never, and once once again, I won't spend a whole lot of time on this, but I could never understand how he made it to the seventh round uh, in the NHL draft last year. But a lot of people said it was really about his size. Teams mm. were looking at his size and didn't like it, but. Then they, this year, you know, Calgary took a chance, and I'm sure every other team is kicking themselves in the asses right now saying, why the hell didn't we pick this kid up? Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. They didn't look at the size of his work ethic. Oh, God. And that's what matters. Oh, that God. kid is just a machine. He yes. is. And and from what I hear, he's just the nicest kid, too. I mean, he's just a great human being. So, um, congrats to Mr. Wolf. I, I hope, I think we might get one more year of him because he'll be 19 next year, so he can't go to the AHL. It'll either be NHL or junior. So I think we're going to see him for one more year, and I'm pretty excited yeah. about that. Hopefully CHL goes through. Uh, I've seen a couple of the leagues that have yeah. cl- that yeah. shuttered their doors for the year going into 2020-2021, so fingers crossed. I, I had some conversations recently with front office, and it's, it's still who knows, uh, but there's a lot of optimism. I will put it that way, so... Um, Keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> so anyway, one of the things that you know we try to do with this is is we talk books and movies, and we get more into the I don't want to call it the finer things of life, but I mean the nerdy things. The of nerd, life. yeah, okay, the nerdy things of life. I'll, I can Geeky, do that. Esoteric. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but one of the things, and in, in, in Dan, ever since you and I started talking, is is you're a you're a wealth of knowledge when it comes to hockey books and stuff, and you brought. You brought this book from our, our guest today to our attention several weeks ago, brought it up. Um, Actually, it was like around Christmas time. I was think. it Christmas? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, because we know time doesn't that matter like anymore. like a few weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but Angie Abdu uh, is her name. She wrote a book called Home Ice, um, Reflections of a Hockey Mom, I believe is the title. Yep. Reluctant Hockey Mom. Re- oh. a reluctant Hockey Mom. Yes. And... Um, you know, Dan, you had read it. On you read it. I've, I've, I will admit, I didn't completely read. It. I've skimmed through it. I live vicariously through my wife, who tells Ooh-oh. me all about it. <laughs> um, but you, you had a relationship with Angie um, that was able to get her on. So today was the day, um, and I was pretty yeah. happy with it. I was pretty excited. Um, we've learned a lot about her. <clears throat> the interview was great. 
We even got to see her son, Ollie. Yep, her son, Ollie, was in the video, which none of you get to see. Ha nope. ha. Um, you can hear her say hi. But he is, he is one of the primary features of that book. Yes, yep. yes. It was such a, I loved her vulnerability in that book. I mean, it takes a lot. I mean, and she mentions it in the thing. You're going to definitely want to listen to her take and how she wrote it and why she wrote it. But man, just the vulnerability that she did by stepping out and giving that was just amazing. And I'm so glad I read it. And I'm so glad I got to meet her. It was pretty cool. Yeah. For sure. That's uh, it was so eye opening and her vulnerability extends beyond the hockey rink. It's yeah. As a mom, as a wife, as a mother of another child, like it's all there just laid out and it's uh something that people rarely do in memoirs because they usually try to make themselves look as good as possible yeah um and she really just said you know here's is super courageous like here's the problems in this relationship that i have and this one and here's what my problem with hockey is and those yeah. people's the, the you know and then the people jumping in her face about how she mothers her hockey player yeah good stuff yeah but you know what she doesn't come across that you're wrong you know like you're part of the old ways and you need to change but she doesn't she doesn't come across that way she just comes out she did her research she says these are the facts these are what some people think this is where i'm trying to figure out what i think yeah so i I, it's a great book it's a great podcast listen and enjoy it because it's it's worth the listen and then it's going to be worth the read yes for sure. I think well that's yeah, I think that's about all we can say about that. You guys will I think you'll enjoy it. It wasn't really an interview, it was more of a conversation, and it was great. And without further ado, here was our uh, our time with uh Miss Angie Abdu. Yeah. It's nice to have things spaced out because usually people are super interested in a book when it first comes out and then everybody forgets about it instantly. So had a year window and then they're like, We have six months, and now it's like, I don't know, you got twelve weeks, and then they're on to the new new thing so. how long has this book been out right. i don't quite remember uh more than a year okay a year well, i actually maybe. just read it within the last six weeks oh good loved yeah. it so you know yeah. what i do right now we should interview you about it no 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 <laughs> <laughs> honestly i was excited when dan brought you up and i was like yeah let me read it and i'm always um i'm more of a newbie into the hockey world so um yeah. i i never i didn't grow up in it or anything like that husband has a huge fan of it and stuff so i'm learning a whole bunch and so just learning your insight as a hockey mom was so cool yeah it was really relevatory as a hockey dad hockey coach and player um, I go up to Monroe's Books in Victoria. Whenever we're there, I pick up a stack of books. And I picked up your book, started flipping through it. And like I said in the text is that I was like, that sounds a lot like Justin, as you were describing your brother. <laughs> I flipped awesome. it back open and I was like, why did I not notice that right there on the front of the book? And a signed copy, no less. I should have noticed it three or four times. That's hilarious. But, yeah. but, uh, My brother has been uh, so nice about me letting... Like, I don't know, my writing's really influenced by him. He's just such a larger-than-life kind of person. So my first novel, The Bone Cage, has this wrestler in it named Digger. And a lot of Digger is like my brother. But he's been really good about letting me do that. Because if he said, don't write about me, I would have to nod. But I think a lot about sports, and, I, you know, he's, he's my, yeah, he's how I know about sports as much as I do. Yeah, that was a fantastic book, by the way. As soon as you, as soon as you had said that in our text string, I read that book as well, and uh, I was, you know, coming from that space before getting into hockey and things like that. It rang so true on so many levels. It was just like the weight cutting and things like that. Yeah. It was just 
grabbed it and and it was so visceral that uh, most authors don't get. I think of like Bachman with uh, us us versus you and Beartown. Like it's very rare for an author to get that far in depth into something that it just seems just- like somebody who's been a part of it. I used to fight the label, the, the label of sports literature because it seemed to me diminutive or, or dismissive or trivializing, but now I just kind of embrace it. There are so many writers. If I have a niche that's working for me and people like my work because I'm good at writing about sports or physicality or the body, or, then why not run with it? It's what I'm interested in. It's what I spend my free time doing. I might as well. So I've embraced it now. And there's so many things you can talk about through sport literature, like aging and death and yes, success. And, yes dream and identity and all of that. Well, I think, I mean, we're just so you guys know, we're, we're already in this whole talk right now. I've been recording the whole time and this is great chatter. So, um, no, seriously, this is good. And well, Angie, you'll be bookended or you'll kind of like be in the middle of our show. So we'll bookend before and after to introduce who you are and all that sort of stuff. So um, people won't just be like, who's this lady talking right now? (laughs) Um, um, no, but, uh, I was going to say, like, we, Anya and I um, kind of uh, grasped onto the concept of what you were going through with it because we, our son plays college football um, and he's been in football for, what, seven years now? Eight years now? Um, And he's going into his third year of college football. So there's always, he's had a few injuries. He he tore his ACL. I mean, stuff like that. But, you know, you always kind of, you worry. Anytime he goes down on the field for whatever reason, you worry about it. So we were kind of able to... um, to relate in that sort of way. And it's so, I mean, I, I did all the research about chronic traumatic encephalopathy and concussions, and it's so terrifying to read it as a parent. And you think, well, who would let their kids play these games because it's so dangerous. But on the other hand, I don't think I could say no to my child. If my child loved football and that's what he was into football, my dad was a football player. My brother was a pretty good football player. You know, if, if your child loves it, then you're, going to do it so I guess I guess it's being aware and all you can do is be aware and go in with your eyes open and take whatever precautions you can and knowing the risks I think you're less likely to push your child if it's not their dream but if it's their dream I I don't think I could stand in the way of a child's dream it's just not how I was raised and being in an athletic family it's so it just makes life worth living when you're really passionate about a sport. And I don't know if you can explain that to a non-athletic person. I think folks understand it if, if they've found a passion. Like, my wife grew up in a completely non-athletic family. And athletics, to me, I moved around everywhere when I was a kid, some 25 places before I graduated high school. And sports was the currency by which I made friends. And it kind of still mm-hmm. is. And even though I never achieved any kind of any level of of uh, competency other than just enjoying it, um, except for maybe with skateboarding a little bit. Um, it's uh, when I describe it to her, it's like uh, she was with acting or other people are with writing. Like if you have that passion, it's sometimes translatable to sports, but then oftentimes those, uh, I think those cerebral pursuits, it's hard for people to understand the physical pursuit. So mm-hmm. I, think there's va- I think there's validity to both of those. Yeah, it's like you you touch on so many things. Like when I said sport literature is, you can write about so many big issues through sport and identity is one, which you're touching on, but also community, that that's where you get your community. And I, I, 
I grew up swimming and I met my husband on a university swim team. We just had our wedding anniversary, our 17th wedding anniversary. Congrats. And every Congrats. time I That's awesome. <laughs> no, wow. Congrats. Oh, thank you. Um, I always think of our crew, like our swim team, our swimming people. And we say that if you meet someone and you say, I'm a swimmer, that's all you have to know about each other. You're instantly have that connection. I, and I, when I was writing The Bone Cage, my mentor was not an athletic person. She, Her name is Elizabeth Harbour, and she was a writer in Ottawa. And she couldn't understand, I don't know if you remember, but there's a character yes. named Ben who doesn't make the Olympics. Yeah. And he, yeah, he acts like it was the end of the world. And his, his chances weren't really great of making the Olympics, but you don't, as an athlete, go to the Olympic trials and think, oh, well, I'm probably not going to make it. You go and you've just dedicated your whole life because you're trying to make it, even if it's a slightly out of reach dream. So he goes, he doesn't make it at the end of his career, and he realizes now he has to decide who he is once it's over. He has to redefine himself, and he has kind right. of a crisis. And my mentor, she said, well, this is, you're, you're exaggerating. Like, this isn't this big of a deal. Like, surely they can do something else. And I said, well, imagine if you turned 30 and someone said, well, you're too old to be a writer now. You be something yeah. else. And she said, well, they can still coach. I said, okay, you can still teach writing. And she said, oh, that is bad. <laughs> yeah. So, so right? then she got it. So that's how I got it to the cerebral person. Like, this is your passion. This is not just a pastime. This is who you are. This is all your right. dreams are attached to this. All that self-identity that's tied up in with it. And even uh, Shields and some others have written some fantastic books viewing, viewing sports through the lens or racism through the lens of sports. Um, and there's oh. like, that's so so timely especially right now um yeah. that there are so many different ways that you can expound that spectrum it's really um sports in and of itself is just kind of i look at it as theater like yeah. it's there's the same pathos and things like that that you have within within a good play or anything like that which is sometimes hard to relate to people who don't follow sports like it's you know if you look at any wrestling match, it's kind of a condensed Shakespearean play happening all at once. And then in three minutes, it's over. And a hockey game, it's, you know, 60 minutes. It's, you know, it's all it's it's all uh, those people's reality and the emotions are just as rich as if it's, oh, hey, no. guess what? You have to stop writing at 45. Well, no, I can't do that. Okay. Well, that's your self-identity. That's theirs. Here's how you tie it all together. That's a fantastic point. And I think the emotions you talk about in sport, it's so it's so heightened and it's so intense. You feel so vividly alive. Even as a spectator, you can Absolutely. tap into that. I mean, I, some of my most exciting times in my life were watching my brother compete at a really high level in wrestling. And like you say, a lot can happen in that, that very short space of a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, speaking of racism and um, hockey or sport, did you see that P.K. Subban donated $50,000 to yeah. yes. Floyd's daughter? I love that family, the Subban family. They're oh, good yeah. people. I got tears in my eyes. When, and then the NHL match, so that's $100,000. Yep. So cool. We we have a good, um, kind of a mutual friend between us and the Subban family. His name is Kwame Mason, and he, does, he did a documentary called Soul on Ice, um, and it kind of talks about the path of um, a, a young black athlete trying to make it in the NHL um, and, and make yeah. it to the NHL. And he actually, he on his podcast today, just had Carl Subban, PK's father, on there. So um, Carl's a very good friend of mine. Nice. I, I adore 
And we've been doing these speaking tours together. And it's so funny to me because we go around and our stick is that we're the hockey parents coming to yeah. talk to hockey parents. <laughs> so here, here. <laughs> I'm kind of a different kind of hockey parent than I am. So, but he's so generous and we have this really good energy together. And so people come, the crowds come to see PK's dad and Malcolm's dad and, yeah. you know, all three of them. But then I get to sneak my message in and we just want people to consciously think about the way they're behaving and uh, at the arena and with their children and what yeah. what the goals are and what we're all hoping to achieve. And our message is like when I first got put with him, I got put with Carl at a literary festival because he had his How We Did It book about mm-hmm. hockey. Mm-hmm. And right. I said, I have my Why Are We Doing This book about yeah. hockey. <laughs> so we kind of right away we had that humor. But we, I thought I'm going to have nothing in common with this man who's telling people how his three kids made the NHL. There's Ollie. Hi. <laughs> so I have not nothing in common with this man who's telling, who's telling his people how his three kids made the NHL. And I'm saying like, oh, I'm not so sure about this Adam B League hockey. But in the end, we had a we had a lot in common. It was like make sure the incentives coming from the children use the sport to have good family time. Uh, use the lessons that come out of sport. Be there to support your child, but it's about them, not about you. Like a lot of our messaging is really similar. So we hit it off like crazy. Yeah. That's really good. I think that that's. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, I think that that's a un- somewhat of a unique perspective because hockey being so tribal at every level. I mean, even when you're talking about Adam level, parents are tribal and they get in each other's faces. My wife was really surprised to see somebody say, <laughs> Like somebody got knocked down and my wife was just expressing, oh, she got knocked down. I was like, well, it was her fault. And she's like, you were part of my conversation. She's like, well, it was this and this. And my wife was like, "Uh, that's cool. I get you. But this is still I'm not a part of your conversation. You're not a part of mine. But that kind of tribal nature has its positives and negatives. Um, And I think that you captured that really well, even if it wasn't. even if it was more subtle throughout your book and just talking about kind of even within the same team, you get clicks of parents with different levels of involvement. But as you broadcast out your work with Carl and the message that you were sending out, it was like, yes, there are other people that are just into this that aren't going to dress up in all the, you know, Adam team gear head to toe and be screaming in the stands and banging on the glass. There's a certain group of people that are just here to watch their kid do what they want to do. Or maybe discover that they don't want to do it. Yeah. Which, uh... I found, you know, and it was so interesting to me when Home Ice came out. I wasn't trying to present myself as an expert or anything. I, I'm a writer and I like to write. And I like this genre of writing creative nonfiction, which immerses readers in someone else's reality. So I'm someone who tries to think deeply and who does research when I'm interested in something and questions the way things are. And so this year I was writing about my experience in this hockey rink and questioning and researching and just sharing that. And so other parents can immerse themselves in that experience. And I'm not asking them to agree with my opinion. I'm thinking mm-hmm. how it feels for me and it creates space for you to think about how it feels for you so you can make these decisions consciously instead of just getting pulled along with what everybody else does without thinking. So I, I guess I was, I guess people had warned me that I was going to receive some negative feedback from you know elements of hockey that don't want to be questioned or they don't want to hear from the mom and they certainly don't want to hear from a b-team adam player's mom from <laughs> all town nowhere but i wasn't really prepared for the kind of almost violent reaction i got from some people you know and just wow. really like who do you think you are and how dare you say these things and one guy told me i was the farthest thing from a hockey mom 
like, oh my what God. that means. Like, what does that mean? My son's a hockey player. I'm his mom, right? But I wasn't the kind of hockey mom. Like, and I felt like, you know, he he was a coach in the local town where I live. And I feel like there's people who want to control the narrative around youth hockey. Yeah. And you have to support that story or else you're not like you don't you can't even call yourself a hockey mom if you're not falling into line and maintaining the status quo. And that's why I was so um, moved by people like Carl Subban or people in other positions of power within hockey who did listen to me and did make space for me to share my story of the sport. Yeah. That's yeah. that's interesting. You know, you you talk about you know hockey is very tribal. Hockey is very set in um, tradition, and you know, yeah. like kind of what we're going through right now with the whole racial uh, conversation. People don't like change in hockey. It's I love the sport to death. You know, I'm a huge hockey fan, but it is one of the hardest things to promote change at any level. And for you to say you're getting like you you had violent reactions to it. I mean. Uh, at one point, I, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And then the other side, I'm not surprised. And I think it's sad that I'm not surprised about that. Um, but, yeah, it's it, you bring up some really good points with that. It, it's funny, all these questions I wanted to ask you, like, what was the reaction to the book? You know, what was the purpose behind writing the book? You <laughs> well, just kind of answered them all on your own. So that's so awesome. I, I, We've done this a time change, or two. When you talk about change, I think that's really important that um, – in, especially in Canada, and like hockey is everything in Canada, and so people do not like change, and they don't want some kind of change that might jeopardize their child's future stardom. And so, I have that there's this man, Jeff Turner, and he's very high up in the Ontario Hockey Federation. And his wife heard me speaking on CBC Radio in Canada, and said, "Oh, you should listen to this interview." And so he listened, and he emailed and asked if I would meet with him. And so he read my book, and I went to meet with him. And in the meantime, I'd had this very negative experience locally. So I thought, I don't want to meet this guy anymore. Like, who am I? What do I, What right do I have to have an opinion? I'm not even a real hockey mom or something. I totally oh, could, no. like, fall into yeah. that trap. And yeah. he wrote back and he said, your son plays hockey. You have as right much right to an opinion as anyone. You've done research. You've done thinking. I really want to talk to you. And so we met and we had this wonderful conversation where he's, you know, he's an expert and I got to hear all of his ideas and he listened to some of my ideas. And it was really... I felt respected and listened to, but the main thing he said too is that people don't like change, and even the try to move young kids to half ice because it's better for developing yeah. skills. Parents oh, freak yeah. out. But he that said, was a huge um, issue. But he said hockey in Canada is in crisis, and if you can ever mm. have some kind of change, it's when a sport is in crisis. So he said this is the time for these conversations. Wow. Oh, right. Yep. I don't know if you you guys listen to other hockey podcasts, but. Um, uh, 31 Thoughts yesterday with uh, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman, which is usually a good listen anyway. Yeah. Uh, had Kim Davis of the NHL on there talking about um, racism and the reaction to hockey and things like that. And she had, or the reaction from the hockey community. And it's super meaningful that uh, I've pulled stuff out of that and had discussions around race um, with my family, with my friends, and pulled stuff that she said. And like the biggest takeaway for me on that was she talked about, you know, a the same. She echoed what you're saying, where, you know, it's not about, uh, it's not about your involvement at what level. Everybody has a right to do it, but also in looking at uh, at hockey or racism through the lens of hockey, how everybody moves at a different pace. 
Some people are going to go listen to TED Talks. Some people are going to, you know, mm-hmm. and just being kind to each other and allowing them that space to develop, which I think has been a problem just within general acceptance of hockey. And especially as a female, um, I think, hockey fan or a hockey mom, you're asked uh, in another double standard to justify your existence all the time. Like, you shouldn't have an opinion or you have the wrong opinion and or you can't be a fan of this team because you think the guys are all hot. Like, all of that enters <laughs> into, this, into this conversation. And it was... Uh, so I'd say I'd recommend the, li- the listen, but also um, your book... Uh, and your writing style brought some of that to the fore as I was reading it. I was just thinking, yeah, like who, who has, who has the gall to tell another person how to be a hockey mom, <laughs> or yeah. to be? It's like tell how it's like asking somebody or telling somebody how to be a human being. You're not meeting my preset criteria, so <laughs> therefore you're wrong. I wonder if what you all think about, like, how much of this kind of discussion eventually filters down to the rink at the really feet on the ground local level. Because my goal, I was going to these academic conferences and people were talking about stuff like CTE and, you know, more um, just different approaches to coaching and parenting and playing and thinking about sport and that kids should do multi-sport and not specialize so young and all these things they're talking about at conferences but then i would go to my local rink and think there's a gap here between what experts are talking about and how things are playing out and so my hope was i'll write this book in the kind of i'll write the write up these experts opinions in the kind of book that someone might pick up walking through walmart like someone might walk walk through walmart and they go home ice reflections of a reluctant hockey mom i'm a hockey mom i'm gonna read this and then it gets some of that expert opinion into the hands of the mm-hmm. people who are at the rink. But I don't know, like, is that unrealistic to think that some of the change, that kind of change is going to occur, that kind of... I feel like it's a double standard again, for me personally, is that I see the talk from Hockey Canada, I see the talk from USA Hockey about multi-sport athletes and things like that. But the reality of it is everybody has their kids training in a single sport and you see it I would say the majority of it. I was also involved for years in youth soccer. And that's another place where it's you're constantly training in that particular sport and specializing at a young age. But yet the governing bodies are saying, oh, you should be multi-sports athletes. You should be well-rounded. And then they have, at the same time, they're feeding this machine that is pushing kids through to specialize that that may never do anything other than play beer league hockey. And that's an okay avenue. But... It's it's a it's a double standard. Either settle on one or the other, but quit pushing an agenda that you don't believe in, but that you're being. It, it's a highly politicized environment. And I think hockey more than any other sporting environment that I've ever seen, and it's at least down here uh, in Washington with seven rinks between Seattle and Portland. It's that's part of the political aspect of it is that there just isn't enough place for people to play. Um, but I cross the border and it's the same thing and there's more places for people to play so i don't know how much of it really gets down to that rink side level i think that people pat say it in passing but i don't know how much action they are putting in in either the head injury aspect of it or the um or the multi-sport well-rounded piece of it I feel like I feel like at the local rink level and and I'm speaking, you know, just from high school sports and all that sort of thing. It feels like nobody really wants to be educated. They just want to have their opinion. Um, mm-hmm. 
And 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 a lot of times I find that parents are living through their kids with you know, yeah. with them in sports and all that sort of stuff. And one of the things we told um, Ryan early on, I mean, he's a very talented young man, um, but we told him early on, if football is not what you want to do, don't do it. All we ask is if you join, you play out your season. And when you're done, if you're over it, you're over it. So we never tried to force that through him. But we he's got a lot of close friends whose parents did push him through yeah. that. And I think because parents get so wrapped up <clears throat> in what they want, they don't want to be educated on what's really going on because then that could mess up their whole narrative on what's going on, you know? And, um, I don't know. It's, it's sad. I, I, I get to hang out a lot with our local junior hockey team here, the Tri-City Americans. I've, I've made good friends with a lot of the players. So these are all guys that are playing major junior hockey. And I know for them, they're all about multi-sport. They're all about, you know, they have fun playing hockey, but for most of them, hockey's a way to pay for college, you know? Um, We've had some great players come through, you know, that have made it to the NHL. Um, but yeah, I think the players themselves realize it, but I'm not sure how much the parents really get it, to be honest. I think you really hit on something when you talk about parents living through their kids. And I just, when I'm writing a book, I pay attention in a way I don't normally pay attention. So in this year, as I was writing this book, I was watching so carefully everybody. And the parents I most admired sort of surprised me were not it surprised me because one of them was my brother and I wouldn't have said I admired my brother. <laughs> I admire his gut wrench, but I didn't know I admired my <laughs> so, so but but it was two two men who stood out for me as do, doing what we should do as parents of athletes. And both of them had been very successful athletes themselves. They had both gone to the Olympics. So they weren't trying to live through their kids. They had been there and done that. So one, they didn't have to live vicariously through their kids. Two, they don't even know if they want that for their kids. Like yeah. it's quite a commitment and uh, you, you don't do, I don't want to say it's a sacrifice because sports isn't a sacrifice, but, but you give up a lot of things in order to have that life, whether it's worth it or not is yeah. a question. Yeah. And third of all, they know that even if they wanted to make their children Olympic athletes, they couldn't, it has to come from the kids. So those two two fathers who had been to the Olympics themselves were the most hands-off, just supportive, just stood back, smiling, sharing, you know, happy to be there one bit because they didn't have to live. I think that voyeuristic living or like, um, you know, living through your kids is the, is a big culprit of the problems. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. And Dan, you, you know that, I mean, you've got a daughter that's playing hockey right now and everything with Wolfa and everything. So I'm sure you see a lot of this stuff going on. Right. Yeah. The, um, the stuff that I see is there are a lot of hockey dads and don't get me wrong. When I was out on the ice with my daughter, um, the first couple of years I didn't coach her because I wanted her to experience it on her own. And I didn't want my love of the sport to influence her. Well, I got tired of taking her to the rink. So I started playing again myself. After <laughs> years. And, and so jumping in to be on the ice with her, I treasured that time. I absolutely loved it. But what I tried to stay away from was what the very thing that we're talking about, which is I see a lot of hockey dads. And invariably, it's more often than not a hockey dad who's really forcing the sport on their kid and that you have to be great and that you have to use this stick. And I've coached kids that are in tears because their dads are like, well, you have to use this stick instead of that stick. And they're like, and I'm not able to play on it because it's a new stick. And I think that it's a it's a very fine line between being excited about what your kid is excited about and something that you enjoy and love. Yes. And it gets dangerous when you start influencing that. 
Like yeah. I'm, I'm the same as you with your son in the sense that my daughter said next week, I don't want to play hockey in the fall. Fine. But you need to figure out a pursuit that you're passionate about. Yeah. yeah. If that's not hockey, if it's music, if it's writing, I don't care. Just find your passion and follow your muse. And that's great. But I think a lot of hockey dads, it's easy for them because they're playing all the time in beer leagues to just be like, oh, yeah, now I got a playmate. Let's go play hockey. And they're, yeah. they're that exuberance drifts into influence. And I think that that's a tight space to be in. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Angie. I always um, I've always been aware of that space with swimming because that's my sport is I love swimming and my husband was a swimmer. And so we were really careful to, to not push too hard with the kids swimming. We always had the men's swim club, like at least at a recreational level, because learning to swim is important. Yeah. Right. They're themselves narrowing towards that as being their probably their main sports. But we were very careful because we didn't trust ourselves not to be overly pushy. That's that's. I think that's it's about being really vigilant and self aware, mindful, checking in with yourself. Am I doing this with the right motivations? Are yeah. we, are we having the kind of family life and the relationship with sports you want? And is this the kid's passion? And I agree with you. Like their passion might not even be sports. It might be writing or reading or music or acting. I do think it's still important to have activities. And I think about this a lot because uh, my son Ollie is very into writing and likes movie reviews and likes his and he does a lot of that that's probably his biggest passion now but at the same time i think you need to be in sports it's important to keep your body moving and be healthy and be active and yeah, absolutely so, so he does them he's not i wouldn't say like is he more excited about history or about hockey history right now <laughs> <laughs> well There's nothing wrong with that <laughs> Andrew. i as we get ready to wrap up here with you i appreciate your time i wanted to see is there is there anything coming up is there any other hockey story that you feel brewing in you that could be put down on paper at some point well, I've written an article about um, my experience touring around with Carl Subban and about the experience of this book coming out, um, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And it's coming out in a collection with the University of Alberta Press in the next couple, uh, within the next year. And it's a book of other voices about hockey. So, oh, that's awesome. You know, the voices we don't normally hear. So I think that'll be very much of interest to your show yeah my next book my next book has nothing to do with hockey but it's kind of a follow-up to home ice but it's about hiking with my daughter because i had realized in the wake of this book how much i hadn't put any energy into my relationship with my daughter because i was one racing around with hockey and suddenly had this very shy very not confident daughter who really needed some mummy time Mm. and we spent this summer just made our goal because everything has to be about goals because i was raised in an athletic (laughs) family (laughs) we made our goal to hike a peak a week so we did all these uh, oh, that's awesome. Top hike. So I have a book called, it's going to be called This One Wildlife. And it's, um, I am excited because I enjoyed the book with your son. And mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of thought, I'm like, I wonder if he's, she's, you're going to do one on, you know, your daughter's side. And I'm excited. I can't wait. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to read that too. I had one quick question for you. Um, do you think so? Hockey and swimming and wrestling are three of the sports that I've been involved in and then have been involved with a number of others. But the depth of, of dedication to each one of those sports that it requires to exist at a basic level, um, meaning to be just proficient at it, you have to put in a lot of time, um, whereas something like soccer is more natural. Do you think that that helps to drive kind of the consumption that you have? Like to quote Frederick Bachman's, uh, hockey isn't content with having being a part of your life. It wants all of it. Hmm. And I really think that those three sports, that's true for all of those. Do you think that that's true? And if so, what has your experience been? 
I do. And I'm a hypocrite when I criticize that in hockey because my life, I swim two hours before school every day and two hours after. It's all, you know, it's what I, what I did is look at the bottom of a pool. So to say that kids should be multi-sport and not specialized so young and all of that is kind of BS based on my experience. And I wouldn't change my experience for anything. I love swimming. It was my passion. And I was the one driving that. My parents weren't offering to get up at five and drive me to the pool. I was insisting they get up at five and drive me to the pool. <laughs> and you know what? Everything I, everything I um, am proud of in my personality comes from swimming. Like my work ethic and my ability to commit to a book project and get sit down at the page every day, whether or not I want to and, and produce something is related to um, my background as a swimmer and what I learned in the pool. So I have nothing bad to say about that on one level it's so hard because there's two different questions about should kids be wearing out their bodies when they're 11 years old of course not should kids um be pushed so hard that they hate a sport by the time they're 13 of course not are there lessons to be learned by being really committed and dedicated something yes there are so it's always the balance and all i could find at the end of my book as a conclusion is each family needs to make the decision of where they draw that line and where they find that balance they need to make it on their own and then they need to be really vigilant about checking in with each each other and maintaining it because otherwise you get pulled along in the machine and you're not making any decisions you're just doing what the joneses are doing and kind of keeping up with the joneses sporting world yeah absolutely yeah I felt like that was the most powerful takeaway at the end of that book, and it really forced me into an introspective place, even though I generally spend a lot of time there to say, am I doing this the right way? So kudos to you for having the guts to to bring that to the fore and to have the courage to tell it like it is warts and all. Thank you. That's awesome. Angie, before we let you go, how can people uh, find out more information about you? Where I know you're on Twitter and all that, but where, where can people have those meaningful conversations with you? Yep. So I always engage with people on Twitter at Angie underscore Abdu, A-B-D-O-U, or people can find me on Facebook or my email address is on my website, which is just abdu.ca. So I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Guys, I that was great. That yeah, was awesome. That was awesome. Really, really. Well, I thank you so much for your time and I'm glad we could make this happen. I I'm hoping like once the, the collections, the book you've got coming out, that's the collections. Once it hits, maybe we can get you on again to talk a little bit yeah. about that. That would be great. Maybe, um, oh, sorry, maybe Carl and I could come on together. We're a good team. Yeah. That would be awesome. That would be a I'd fun conversation. That. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I noticed I said I do this all the time. I said voyeuristically when I meant vicariously. Sorry, we got gotcha. you. What are you talking about? I do that all the time. The crazy thing was, so, is I knew exactly what you meant. So, okay. <laughs> um, I, right before, right before I came on, I told Marty took the dogs out for a walk so they wouldn't be barking. And I said, I'm so nervous whenever I have to go pretend I'm a, a hockey expert. Uh, I'm so nervous. Oh, <laughs> we, so easy. I didn't even realize I was doing an interview. You're like, by the way, we're already going. Uh, you, we don't, we don't expect anybody to be experts, good. including ourselves. Uh-uh. Yes. Maybe Aaron. No, 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 we we run we run the loosest ship around here. So I don't even know if the ship's af- actually floating half the time. So, um, but anyway, Angie, once again, thank you so okay. much. I really appreciate it. Thank we will talk guys. to you later. Really All right, take care. Thank you. you. Too. Take care. Bye. Bye.